Sam Carroll, thank you uh, once again. Let's uh, maybe, I don't know, we should probably clap for them again um, for reading and for everything else they do around here. Um, uh, it's an honor to be with you. I'm grateful. My family is grateful to be here uh, this afternoon. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you that uh, though every day might be a reminder of your presence and your love, this day... Christmas makes it just a little bit easier, and so we're grateful for that. Thank you that, uh, that you're a God who, who doesn't ask us to check our busyness and, and the things of our life, the, the ups and downs, the, the, the things that are going well, the things that aren't going well. You don't ask us to check those at the door when we come to you. You ask us to bring all of those to you. So even in the midst of a season that is very busy, it'll be difficult for us to not be distracted, even in these moments together when we think about what comes tomorrow and the day after and all the celebrations. Uh, I pray that, we, that, that we're here and that we bring all of ourselves into these moments together because you have something to say about all of it, and I'm grateful for that. So we pray that, that as we study your word, as we open your word, your word would change our hearts and our hearts would be changed for your service. And we pray that in the powerful and redemptive name of Jesus. Amen. So there is this, uh, there's this obscure anniversary that's celebrated on Christmas Eve. We all know about the more famous one, but the obscure one uh, happened 110 years ago. 110 years ago, something happened uh, that had never happened before in human history. And the person at the center of this new thing 110 years ago was a guy by the name of Reginald Fessenden. Uh, it's a strong name, by the way. I'm predicting that both those names end up on the hot baby names of 2017. Reginald Fessenden, if, you, if you're looking for a name, those are good ones. Uh, so Reginald was the eldest son of an Anglican minister. He was a brilliant guy. He was one of the, the main thinkers for Edison's, Thomas Edison's research laboratory. And he was the chief electrician for Westinghouse Electrical Company. And Fessenden had been working on the answer to a question, what information can you send over radio waves? To that point in history, the only thing that had been sent over radio waves, for the most part, was Moore's code, usually sent to ships off the shore so that they can stay in contact with uh, people onshore. The Navy was using radio for that purpose. But Fessenden thought that maybe there was more that could be sent over radio waves. So on December 24th, 1906, he believed the answer to his question was ready for, tri for trial. And, and so on that Christmas Eve night, he spoke into a microphone, and a human voice was transmitted over radio. Imagine... That was an incredible thing to hear if you happened to be listening to the radio at that time. Remember, the only people that were listening were for, were, were, were for ships, and they, and they were listening for Moore's code to communicate. So imagine you're out at sea on Christmas Eve, the darkness of, 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 of the sea stretching in all directions, maybe broken by a few random stars. You're not really expecting a human voice. You're out there alone, you're separated from your family and your friends, maybe because you have to be, maybe because you want to be, and into that darkness, a voice breaks in. I imagine there was a type of comfort and hope that maybe showed up there that was unfamiliar in the darkness of sea. The words that came across the radio waves that evening were these, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. 
Luke 2.14, the words of the angel chorus announcing the birth of Jesus. Words of love reaching a very difficult place to get to. For you, maybe you walk into this room this evening uh, thinking all of this is just really commonplace. Maybe you've heard the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus so many times, it just seems somehow unnecessary at this point, more formality than anything. Maybe you enjoy the story, you know, maybe tomorrow morning after you open presents or before you open presents, you'll open the Bible with your family and you'll read that story as a reminder of what this day is all about. Maybe you come to Christmas Eve service every year with family or friends and, and you enjoy it, but you could almost repeat the story in your head. Maybe you've watched Charlie Brown's Christmas so many times, the voice you hear is Linus saying that Christmas story over and over again. None of those things are bad at all, but again, maybe the story somehow feels unnecessary because it's so common. So my hope in this time that we have together is that maybe, just as Sam alluded to, maybe we could hear these words like it's the first time again. Maybe we can imagine we're those folks out on that ship hearing words reach an unexpected place in an unexpected way for the first time. And I think if we do, we'll hear them like those sailors probably heard the same words, like love reaching a very difficult place to get to. So let's try. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The story of the angels announcing the birth of the Savior of the world starts as a story about farmers on a dark night raising sheep. It's a surprisingly humble beginning to the story. And we don't know a lot about these shepherds. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about them. We know because they were shepherds that they very likely had next to no upward mobility in their society, no clout, no status. They were pretty much locked into who they were and not a lot of people would listen to them on any given day. They were just going about their business. We also know that they were very likely God-fearing people in this rural, agrarian, first-century Palestine. So as God-fearing people, they would have heard the stories of God. They would have heard about a God who, who, who never gives up, a God who doesn't quit, a God who isn't finished with the world. Even if in the everyday of being a shepherd, it didn't really seem like he was up to much, there would have been this faintest of hope that maybe God was going to do something miraculous. And to these shepherds, an angel shows up, which doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every day in the scriptures. And anytime it does happen in the scriptures, the response is always the same. The people are terrified because 
honestly, we would be too. If you're sitting there right now and there's a seat next to you and poof, an angel shows up, puts his arm around you and says, hey, I've got some good news for you. You wouldn't say, well, thank goodness I've been sitting here every week for a, for a month, a year even, and no one ever shows up, right? You'd be terrified just like they were. And so the angel says standard angel stuff. Don't be terrified. I know how you guys feel every time we show up. Don't be terrified. I bring you good news. Good news for me, maybe my business, maybe my, maybe my land. Yeah, yeah, but more. Good news for my family. Maybe we'll be more safe in the year to come than we were previously. Maybe we'll have a little more security. Yeah, 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 but more. Oh, good, good news for my whole community. Maybe we'll all prosper. Yeah, yeah, think bigger. Oh, I get it, good news for Israel. God's chosen people, his set apart people. They're gonna rise above all the other nations. Yeah, good news, but bigger than that. Good news of great joy for all people. A baby's been born. Now, maybe if you were a shepherd in that moment, after you had come down from this whole experience, you would have said, good news of great joy for all people. A baby's been born. I, I, hate, to, I hate to pick on your words, angel, but it sounds more like okay news to me. I've got my sheep. I've, I've got this going on. Not really all that applicable to my, what I've got going on in my life currently. Maybe it's just kind of like all right news. Could you like announce it that way? I'd be more in if you said like, oh, this is kind of like okay news that you might want to think about at some point. No. He says this is good news of great joy for all people. Maybe when you hear that, you think what those shepherds might have thought. Well, it's not bad news, but doesn't seem all that applicable to me. There's this old story of a guy, been married 20 years, every year at Christmas Eve, uh, his wife asks him to come to, to church, and so he comes on Christmas Eve, but honestly, he struggles with it because he doesn't believe any of it. He thinks it's all a little bit ridiculous. Baby, born in a manger, savior of the world, angels, the whole thing is just a little bit goofy. So on this particular Christmas Eve, his wife says, are you ready to go to service? And he thinks, you know what? He says to her, I, I, uh, I really don't want to go. Uh, I don't want to be a hypocrite, and the whole thing seems just a little crazy to me. I'm just going to stay home. And I know what at least a couple of you are thinking right now. You're like, is that an option? Can you just like say, like, I'm not going to church? No, it's a story. You had to be here, and I'm glad you're here. Um, so he says, uh, I'm going to stay home, and she goes off to service, and so he settles in. He wants to stay up for her, so he gets in his favorite chair, and he lights a fire, and the snow's coming down outside. He grabs a blanket and a book, and he settles in, and he's really excited about the evening, and all of a sudden, he hears a thump on the window in the front room, and he's like, ah, oh, it's probably just kids playing, throwing snow or whatever, and then he hears it again, thump, and he's like, that's definitely not snow, and so he throws the blanket off and goes up front, and what he sees is a bird circling and smacking into the window and circling and smacking into the window. And he's like, oh my gosh, he's, he didn't go to church. He's not a terrible person. So he's like, this is awful. So, um, so he says, uh, um, what should I do? I mean, probably what's happening is this bird is freezing to death. It's cold outside. I mean, that's probably it. Now, I don't know the science behind all of this. I think their down feathers make them fine. So don't worry about it if you're like a, uh, an animal person. It's just a story. So he's like, oh, I think this bird's freezing to death. And, uh, and so he puts his boots on and his coat on and he goes outside and he opens the, the door to his barn, which is right across from the house. And he says, uh, as he opens the door, hey, bird. Bird, yeah, yeah, you, come on in here. I've got something real, it's, it's so much better in here. It'll be warm, you'll be safe. This is a good place for you. That whole window slamming in thing, that's not working for you. Why don't you come over here? But the bird doesn't listen because the bird doesn't speak English. And so he thinks, man, okay, uh, I've got it. 
food, universal language. And so he lays down breadcrumbs for the bird, and he's like, the bird's going to come right along, but he doesn't. He, and so I don't know if he like ate before the whole episode happened, or he's got celiacs or whatever, but he's not interested in the breadcrumbs. And so he's like, okay, I, I'm about out of options here. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And he thinks, okay, well, what I'll, maybe I'll, I'll grab a broom and I'll just shoo it into the barn. It probably won't understand what I'm trying to do. It'll probably think I'm trying to hurt it, uh, and, and it probably won't have a good picture of like the, the, the grand master plan of this whole thing, but at least, I'll, at least he'll be safe. And so he tries to, to sweep with the broom and, and move the bird, but the bird freaks out and does not want to follow him. And he's standing there in the snow, and he drops the broom, and he's like, this is so frustrating. I have this good, safe place for this bird to live, and he won't listen to me because I can't communicate with a bird. I guess if I really wanted to communicate with a bird, the only way I could do it is if I became a bird. And then he thinks for the first time, huh, well, if God, if God's a loving God, like the Bible says, and he tries to talk to people in all kinds of different ways, but, the, but there's, there's confusion. And that which he loves, the people he loves, they don't understand him. And he, he's trying to communicate. I guess if he really wanted to communicate with us, the way he would do it is to become one of us. Precisely what happened in the manger. Love reached a difficult place to get to. God isn't a disinterested third party in creation. He's willing to dwell with people right where they are. And a lot of us don't really have a good concept, can't really fathom that type of love on earth, like a love that pursues that much that says, I'll come to you. I'll take all the first steps to get to you. A lot of us can't fathom that, let alone the idea that the creator of the universe loves that way. But Christmas reminds us that he does. He does love us that much. A child being born means God is very, very interested in you. So this isn't good news when you get better. It's not good news when they get better. It's not good news when she comes back. It's not good news when he acts right. It's not good news when you get that job. It's not good news when they finally tell you they're proud of you. It's good news of great joy for all people right now. Because God, knowing everything about the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, he showed up in love for everyone, for you. So if this evening you showed up to church and your picture of God isn't one that you would describe as good news for all people, or your picture of the church isn't what you would describe as good news for all people, maybe someone or something has distorted your picture of what God or the church actually is. The angels tell the shepherds that this good news for all people is all about peace. And then the angels say that this peace is connected to the birth of a savior. And there's a tension built into what Luke is writing here, but we don't often get it in our modern context. But there's a clue in chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Under Caesar Augustus, or Octavian as history remembers him, from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., the Pax Romana spread across the entire known world, the Roman peace. Octavian, or Caesar Augustus as Luke calls him here, was hailed the Prince of Peace, the bringer of tranquility, the deliverer from war and from bloodshed who would bring mercy and justice and freedom. 
He was hailed that way, but the peace that he brought was not for all people. It was a peace born out of conquest and domination. Bow to Roman rule, taxed as they choose, then you're fine. Resist, and you're eliminated. That's the Pax Romana. This peace of Rome and Augustus was one of almost continual war and conquest and repression. Caesar's peace wasn't peace for all people. It was like looking at a cardboard cutout of the real thing, but when you get around it from another angle, you realize it is just a pale reflection of what it should be. That's how it is with kingdoms of this world for, for Caesar. And honestly, for us, as we play Caesars in our own worlds, it's, it's something like this. I'm it. I'm all there is. And so the peace that I can bring, whether it wrecks people or wrecks myself in the long run, too bad. I'm all there is. And so I'll be the center of my world for as long as I possibly can be. And we wouldn't say it this way, but with that mindset, we, we, we do things like uh, acquire things and build things around ourselves and we pile them all up and we say, look, that's, that's my peace, my work, my family, my comfort, my recognition, my status. I have to pile all that up and that, that's my peace. Yet Christmas reminds us there is one who came who was responsible for your peace, only one. Only one who came to set the captives free. Only one who came to pierce every part of the darkness you experience. Only one who said, come to me all who are weary. Everybody who's worn out by this piling up of things and counting that as peace. Come to me all who are weary and I will give rest. Only one who tore down the dividing wall between all people so that all that matters now is faith expressed in love. Only one born in a manger, the Prince of Peace. As Isaiah says, Jesus is our peace. So if that's true, how do we respond? What do we do? If that's the good news of great joy, which is all for all people and it's true, how are we supposed to respond? Let's see what the shepherds did next. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So here's what the shepherds could have done. The shepherds could have said, my peace is right here. And honestly, things aren't too bad. I got my sheep, it's a calm night, all until the heavens opened up and the whole angel thing, now that they're gone, it's all calm again. Things are pretty okay, family's okay, marriage is okay, my children aren't generally described as juvenile delinquents, like it's kind of okay, like I got all the peace I need, thank you very much, I don't wanna be interrupted. If, if this is all the peace I can have, that's it, I'll, I'll take that, I'll just kinda stay here. They could have said that, but instead, they heard the truth, and they responded to it. It's interesting, the angels actually don't tell the shepherds to do anything. The shepherds just hear good news, and they respond. In that way, the truth never tells us to do anything, but it always invites us to do something. The truth isn't a mandate, but it should be a catalyst. On July 4th of the year 2000, 
I asked my wife of now 15 years to marry me, Abby. Um, and uh, I proposed to her in my in-law's basement. Let that sink in. Yeah, I know it's not very romantic. Um, I had a better plan, uh, and it went something like this. So Abby had spent the summer serving and, and ministering at, a, at an orphanage in Guatemala, and, uh, and she was getting back, and, when, and, I, and that, that was how I was going to proposed to her when she got off the plane. I was going to get on one knee and ask her to marry me because the reality is, is while she was gone, I realized I didn't want to miss one more adventure with her. I want to be by her side every single step of the way. And so that was kind of a fitting way to, to say that. And so I was talking with uh, my now mother-in-law about this plan, and we were all going to go pick her up from the airport. And this is back when you could still go all the way back to the gate. And her brothers and sisters were going to be there, and mom and dad were going to be there, and, and myself. And so Abby's mom said, what I'll do is I'll get everybody through the metal detector, through security, uh, except you and uh, my now father-in-law, Steve, uh, because I hadn't asked his blessing to, to ask Abby to marry me to this point. Uh, it, just, it just hadn't happened. So she said, let's do this the right way. And I said, absolutely. And so uh, she said, I'll move the family along, and then you and Steve will have some time to chat from the security line back to the gate. And then uh, you, can, you can propose, and it'll be a wonderful night. And I said, great. I love that idea. And so we uh, go up to the security line, and Abby's mom fulfilled her into the bargain and moved everybody along. And so it was my turn to go through the metal detector and then Abby's dad was right behind me and so I walked through now this is the year 2000 and if you're a dude and you were live in the year 2000 you know uh, because it was a special event I was rocking cargo pants and my best ones and so uh, so I'm walking through with my cargo pants and I've cleared out these pockets and I walk through and it goes off I'm like not to worry I've got like 57 pockets I've got something somewhere and it was right here in my left thigh it was uh, the ring that I was going to propose to Abby with, and there was a metal band on the back of the box, which uh, when you go through a metal detector, it buzzes when you have metal in your pocket. And so, uh, so I go through, and it buzzes, and I was like, oh, no, this is not great because I haven't talked to Abby's dad, who happens to be right there, and they're going to say, take that out, and I'm going to have to... So they, uh, they, they wand me, and it takes them a while again, a lot of pockets. And so finally, they get to the, to the left side, and they say, sir, there's something in your pocket. Can you take that out? At that point, in my mind, what I decided to do was just uh, say no. Um, <laughs> that's not a good idea. So in case you're wondering, if you hear me say anything, if you have something in your pocket at the airport and they say, take that out of your pocket, just say yes. Because what happened is three other dudes kind of descended on me, and now it was like a police action type situation. And uh, Abby's dad's still right behind me. And so I, at first I thought, you know what, maybe I can just outrun all these guys. And uh, I can make it back to the back, and uh, I'll get on one knee and propose to Abby before I get arrested. It'll be a great story. Uh, but I thought, no, that's probably not great to have that on my record going into this whole marriage thing. And so, uh, and one of them was like this little guy, but he was like a scrappy Duncan. I was like, he's going to take me down. And so, uh, so I was like, no, okay, just, stand, just take it out. So I did. I took it out of my pocket, and it was the ring. And I was so embarrassed, and I'm sweating, and, uh, and I'm all clammy. And so I put the ring back in my pocket. And to this day, Abby's dad is, is either the sweetest man, which is what I choose to believe in the world, or very aloof, because he's like, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't see a thing. And I'm like, OK, great. But in that moment, I didn't know that. And so I was so nervous and messed up by that whole experience that I didn't add, when we got there, I, you know, it was like hugs and kisses and pictures. Uh, but I didn't ask her to marry me. Abby's mom is like looking at me like, uh, hey, you're blowing it, dude. We had like a good plan here. And, uh, she was saying it with her eyes, not with her mouth. Um, but, uh, but I didn't. I, and so finally I got myself all together later in the evening and in my in-law's basement asked Abby to marry me. 
And she said, yes, and I got the girl, and every, everybody wins in the end. But uh, here's the thing, going back to this idea that the truth isn't a mandate, but it, but it should be a catalyst. If someone would have asked me on the night that I asked Abby to marry me, do you believe that Abby is lovely? Do you believe that she's wonderful and good and true and someone that you should spend the rest of your life with? I would have said absolutely yes. And I would have been right. That would have been true. And then if they would have asked a follow-up question, okay, well, what does that mean that that's true? If I would have responded, well, I guess that just means it's true. I would have had all the right ideas about being in a relationship, but I wouldn't be in a relationship. The truth never asks anyone or makes anyone do anything, but it always invites people to do something. I had to move into that relationship because of what I knew was true. At some point, this is what we have to do in relation to what happened in a cattle stall 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. We have to look at it and we have to say, if that's true, if that baby was born in that manger and he really is God's plan to bring peace into this world, then it changes everything. And we have to believe it in a way that we wanna have a relationship with God and we move in that direction. The shepherds probably had endless questions. Remember that the angels didn't lay out the whole plan for how this was all gonna work out, for what God was gonna do in the world to set it all right. They just said there's been a baby born in a manger and it's good news of great joy for all people. That's the thing about Christianity that I love. I think it's far more discovery than it is arrival. So they probably had all kinds of questions, but what they knew and who they knew was enough for them to move forward. For some of us in this room, if, if, if I would have asked you six months or a year ago, if you'd be here in this service, at this church, at this time, you said, no way, there's not a chance, but you're here. And I don't know why, maybe, maybe as a favor to your family, maybe you're dating somebody that you're trying to impress, I don't know, whatever the case may be, I'm super glad that you're here. And maybe you don't have enough to move into a relationship with that baby born in that manger, the savior of the world. Maybe you don't have enough to move into relationship with Jesus, to trust him for everywhere you've fallen short and everywhere you're going. But here's my encouragement to you. Ask as many questions as you can. Get around people who do follow him and ask them why. Read as many books as you want. Ask all the questions because ultimately the most important question that you'll get an answer to is, is Jesus the Savior? Because if he is, it has to matter. For some of us here this evening, the, the, the circumstances of our lives ha have moved us to a place where that hope that we once had, which was so vibrant that God was real and active and good in this world, is faded to the dimmest of faint hope. But Christmas reminds us that we can trust God will show up because he has shown up. As N.T. Wright said, hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or blind optimism. It's a mode of being, of knowing that new things are possible that simply weren't before because God's love reached a difficult place to get to. That first declaration of, of, of peace coming on earth, it was cosmic. The heavens opened up and the angels proclaimed that peace isn't just something that's relegated up there and it's not found at the tip of a sword in the name of empire. It has descended to us in the most gentle and humble of forms. The first declaration was absolutely cosmic. Every single one after that has been very, very common. Common people telling a very extraordinary story. 
You don't have to have prominence or status or upward mobility to be moved by the truth. So here's my encouragement for everyone. Keep following. Keep telling the story of light shining in a world that is far too dark far too often because God has this way of doing extraordinary things through ordinary, everyday faithfulness. So let's be people that are moved by the truth, who allow the truth to be a catalyst. In the words of the hymn that we began this service with, let's allow the truth to guide us to justice and love because a little child, a baby born in a manger, shall lead us all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that it's true. And that that truth doesn't make us do anything, but it always invites us to do something. I pray that we leave here knowing more of your love, experiencing more of your grace, and being willing to move toward your truth. I pray that our lives and the world around us will be changed as a result, and you promise that it will be. In Jesus' name, amen.